Hello, welcome to Time of My Life with me, Lawrence Mozafari. I'm a journalist, podcaster and presenter from London. And this is a podcast with a series of fun and thoughtful interviews where I speak to remarkable elders with fascinating lives. All to capture their wisdom, anecdotes and answer some of life's biggest questions from the people who've already lived it including what is the meaning of life. Yep, I've gone, gone for the big boys. You'll know Adriel Ando from her work on everything from Bridgerton to Broadchurch, and she just signed up to appear in Netflix's The Witcher season two. She's been in everything from Casualty to Line of Duty, Cucumber, and one of my favorite computer games, PlayStation's Horizon Zero Dawn. Adjoa was incredibly generous with her time, and I chatted to her one Sunday morning, and it just could have gone on for hours. I would strongly recommend that you check out her TED talk, What Determines Who We Are, when you get the time. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, my name's Adwa Ando, and this is Time of My Life with Lawrence Mazafari. Thank you so much for joining me today, Adwa. How are you doing? Pleasure. I'm doing very good, thank you. Been in the park with the dog, and uh, yeah, as you know, nature does it to us every year, doesn't it? Just goes, come on, come on, everyone. <laughs> it's going to be all right. I've obviously got to talk to you about Bridgerton. I absolutely loved you in, in Bridgerton and it's become a megawatt hit and I'm sure you're asked about it all the time. I kind of wanted to ask, how is it to work on? And does it feel to you like it's had a different amount of t attention compared to other projects you've had? Well, it's the, it's the highest viewed Netflix show ever. So uh, it's 84 million households have watched it. So um it has had more attention than other projects I've worked on just because it literally had more attention. But also, I think, you know, the time that uh, Bridgerton aired, Christmas Day in the middle of a pandemic, where for certainly for people in the UK, Christmas just got changed up at the last minute. And, you know, whether Christmas is, is of your faith or not, I think as a cultural holiday in this country, it's one where our assumption is um, you get together with people you gather so not being able to gather I think really gave shows like Bridgerton that were launching on that day a, a, a renewed sort of focus and particularly during the pandemic the focus of watching something that was un-Covid related a bajillion miles away from Covid related you know have a look at a frock here's a stately home are they going to have sex I don't know all oh, that well, I think they I think I think I'll make a cup of tea goodbye <laughs> you know I so you know I think it's uh, I think it had its own delight in a way and relief for people I think the fact that we were locked down the fact that it had that sort of joyous bubble in the middle of something grim gave it I think that extra focus and then you know it's Shonda Rhimes Shonda Rhimes of Grey's Anatomy how to get away with murder you know bazillions of great shows and Netflix coming together so I think it was always going to have extra focus on it anyway, but I think when it dropped, gave it extra, extra focus. Definitely. There's definitely been a few of those shows that have kind of become real big cultural talking points. I think like thinking back to the past year, like Normal People and Tiger King that kind of became a massive part of that, mm. that culture conversation. I think mm. that definitely was helped by the fact everyone stuck at home with not much else to do to, to watch, watch some great telly. So we know we're definitely getting season two. 
Um, there's we some do. casting that's begun. I saw Simone Ashley has been cast as a lead, which is really exciting um, from Sex Education. And from what I understand, it's due to be shooting in spring in London. Have you, what extent have you started in terms of talks? Have you seen scripts? Like how, how what's the latest with season two from your perspective? There's been a lot of costume action going okay. on. A lot of hair and makeup action, less script action. But that's, uh, that's, always, that's always the way of things because scripts get refined and refined and refined. Costumes are, I mean, you've seen the costumes on the show. They are, the detail is magnificent and bonkers. So they take a lot. So the lead, so basically what I'm saying is the lead time stuff is the stuff that we've been deep into already. Uh, you know, the, the listeners can't see me, but as you can see, there's not a whole lot of hair going on here. <laughs> so wiggage takes a lot of time as well so all those all those conversations and fittings and all of that stuff is is has been going for a bit and and scripts will be tweaked and rejigged and all of that and then we'll get a, we'll get a decent working look at them closer to shooting time what can you tell me about season two and i and if there's not a huge amount you can say then what what would you like to see happen for lady danbury if you can't say exactly I, okay. what you can expect I can't tell you a lot about season two. Um, and even if I knew, I probably wouldn't because I, <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil stuff for people. But, um, uh, you know, uh, obviously there are new characters coming on board, as you, as you referred to there with Simone, because the, the I guess the structure of Bridgerton uh, is based on a series of novels by Julia Quinn. Um, Lady Bridgerton has eight kids. We've seen what happens to Daphne so far. So next along is her older brother, Anthony. Um, played by the delicious Johnny Bailey and so there'll be a lot more attention on on him and as you get from season one he is uh, absolutely you know the the boy who's born to be Duke who actually uh, is really struggling with the, that responsibility and there's a freedom that he would like to enjoy that's not going to be his to enjoy in the same way and I think it's quite an interesting conversation because it sort of says it's not just about women being married off you know for dynasties that was happening to men as well and um not everybody who is born to inherit uh, wants to uh so that's that's a sort of we, we have that that real tension in um in 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 the anthony storyline so we, we will see how he copes with um the duty and and, le and leaning into it rather than being able to palm it off on his younger brother luke which is what he'd rather do so there'll be a lot of there'll be that that, that will be a great um chunk of uh, story lineage for season two for lady danbury um i'll talk i suppose things that i would love golda and i who plays the queen we were just we were doing a, a little talk for shondaland the other day and we were both saying how how much i mean Goldra and I, we just laugh a lot anyway. We've known each other for a while. And we're just saying how much we would love those characters. We'd like to see them together a little more. You know, uh, think about this young queen coming over from Europe, arriving in England and marrying the king on the same day. A young Lady Danbury at court. And, you know, you, you know when you clock that person in the room, you go, mm-hmm, I think you and me, we could be friends. I, I certainly think that there's that element with, you know, Lady Danbury is long lived at court. She knows the runnings. She would have been there ahead of the Queen. Um, she would have known the runnings. And I, I think that there would have been a deal of um, allyship made between those two. And also they're, they're pretty naughty. They're kind of naughty women. They're kind of respectable, but naughty. Um, and, I, and so I think there's a shared sort of 
humor and sensibility about them. They don't suffer falls. They're quite sharp tongued. They can spot fragility. They've had personal struggles in their own lives um, and they have dealt with them. And I, 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 so I think there's a lot of comradeship there. But I also, Lady Danbury, um, she, uh, she knows the Glanvilles. Uh, we saw the Glanvilles in series one. He's the painter. Uh, with his wife who is also his beard in a way um, and Lady Danbury knows these people and is friends with them and I think there's a and you saw with her you know when she has her girl the girls night out um, uh, I think there's a there's a there's a way in which she she inhabits all the high-ranking bits of court but she also knows this sort of bohemian demimonde that's running in parallel with that as 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 uh, royal and noble stratas have done through the ages. Um, so um, I'd like, I, I'd love to see a bit more of that. And then finally, I, I think I think she and Lady Bridgerton, I, I sort of characterise them as being fire and water together. You know, they have their different ways of strategizing. It's a period of great strategy. And, and, I, and I love the sort of delicacy of, um, of that relationship between the two of them. Uh, Ruth, who plays Lady Bridgerton, is just, most I think she's I think she's a sublime actress she's really nuanced and um and I and I love working with her so I'd love to see a bit more of them and then you know as we're sort of doing here with this conversation Lady Danbury is good at spotting the youngers and going yeah you come come on so I just look at her and Eloise uh, her Eloise and, and Penelope and I look at that friendship they had and I think that Lady Danbury would have had that friendship when she was young maybe with Simon's mother and, and she spots those girls that are like, mm, is this it? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Isn't there something more? And I think she would want to encourage that. So, um, yeah, lots of different angles. Really. Amazing. Yeah, lots to look forward to by the sounds of things. Yeah. One thing that I thought Bridgerton did amazingly well, which I know has been spoken about a lot, is the naturally diverse cast and the way it was like threaded throughout the show. And I know you've spoken mm -hmm. a lot about how this kind of expands on the real history of black people in the Regency era. era. Yeah. I wondered, is there any other ways you'd like to see the diversity be expanded on the show in the future? And do you hope that this kind of example that Bridgerton set might be embraced by other period dramas to do the same? Well, I suppose the first thing to say is when you say black people, I would say people of color, because it's not just people of African, African, was that uh, African heritage in the show, although I suppose most prominently that they are at the moment, but there are other uh, actors featured in the show of different heritages. And I would like to see more of that maybe, uh, because, you know, his, I love, I love, my mum was a history teacher. I love history. I've always resented the fact that period dramas have been inaccurately white because that's not the history of this country and so I'm I am delighted you know I think we need I think it's it's not about making up history that doesn't exist it's about putting the history back into history because what we've taken as the status quo generally has been the history that does never existed you know there are facts that are facts there were 20,000 free black people in uh, London in this period fifth of the British Navy was of African heritage and actually that's it's not even just African heritage because you know there were Lascars and there were you know there, there was there was interaction with North Africa and what we call Southeast Asia and East Asia from time trading 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 we're, Britain's a trading nation it always has been and you know that's 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 also reflected in the 
the multiplicity of um, heritages that you would have found in the capital city of the trading nation of the British Empire that colonized vast swathes of the world. So, you know, it's not it's not rocket science. So I'm very, you know, obviously Bridgerton is not a documentary. It's a drama and it's a it's it's a fantastical drama. So, you know, it's just a silly example, but you'd never see you'd never see the colors that you see the Featheringtons in psychedelic orange and lime but they were not regency colors but the cut is a regency cut so basically it's that's what the show does it says this is the cut and then we uh, we put authentic things in and then we just go crazy with them so you have that with the music as well don't you where you're listening to a a quintet and then it's like hang on i recognize that one, <laughs> I recognize that one. <laughs> yeah so so i think that's what the show does but i think i think you know we were talking about it coming out during lockdown when people are having a, a tough time and life is difficult and it's difficult for everybody. And what I really am most delighted about the show is that it said it was an invitation to everybody. You could be of colour, you could be gay, you could have feminist perspectives, you could be all those three things in one person, uh, whatever. Uh, or you could be just somebody that likes watching Regency dramas or romances or whatever. And uh, everybody was welcome to that show. And for me, the, the, ext the extension of the welcome, with my whole life, with everything that I do, that's what I'm most interested in, is just going, I see you, I hear you, come on in. So, yeah. Brilliant. Um, there's been lots of talk about Reggae John Page uh, potentially being a good candidate for Bond, as is the way with any British male actor, I think, that does anything that is quite good. But I think he'd be a really good shout for it. I know you said he would be as well. I wondered off the back of that, would you be keen on the role of M, perhaps, if that came up with a kind of like so next look, reimagining? So here's the thing. I didn't say Reggae Jean Page would be great for Bond. Somebody said to me, do you think he would make a good Bond? And I said, yeah, he'd make a good anything. He's smart. He could do it. Of course he could. I mean, he looks great. And he's, you know, he's intelligent. He's smart. He's fit. Yeah, he could. I've no interest in Bond. I don't care less. About it. <laughs> I, I could care less about Bond. And as Reggae said, you know, you just have to be of a certain age and uh, um, be able to walk and talk and look reasonably good and be vaguely interesting. And the, the B word will come up. And so it has with him. I, I, I think if when things are well written and they're good, I think I think the Bond franchise is interesting at the moment. You know that you've got Ben Whishaw playing uh, Q, uh, and uh, you've had really interesting, you know, like Judy Dench playing M, and uh, and David Wallabridge has just started working on the the new one as well. Yeah, uh, Daniel Craig. That's what I meant. Oh, I, okay, I've, yeah. I've I've loved and adored Daniel Craig since he did Our Friends in the North back in the. 80s uh, which was you won't remember this but our friends in the north was like the event show of the time with um christopher eccleston and uh gina mckee and mark strong and daniel craig they were the four leads uh and i've loved him since then i just think he's a brilliant brilliant actor so i think they made the franchise more interesting by bringing these brilliant brilliant um not necessarily what you would have assumed would be the characters prior to their casting Lady Danbury in Bridgerton, she's got so many words of wisdom, especially for, for Simon. And I wondered kind of in that vein, what would you say is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given or, or one that really sticks with you? I, I've just, I, actually, I've just finished reading a book called Dibs in Search of Self. Have you heard of it? I haven't. It, was a, it, was, it came out in the 60s and I'm reading it for a, a 
for, for work, but um, it came out in the 60s and it, it, was a, a, it was a case study of, of a young boy, five years old, who the, his parents thought that he was mentally deficient in some way. He was uncommunicative, he was violent, had terrible tantrums, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the, he, the, 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 there's a work through with a therapist. It takes, it's play-based work and it's, it transforms him and it transforms his family. And um, he talks about, so in this space, when in the therapy play space, she allows him complete freedom. She never pushes him in any particular direction. She allows him his, his own um, desires, his own soul, whatever it is, to lead everything they do. And there's something about, she, something about she says you you uh, he he's he learns this thing about saying I did what I wanted you 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 he calls himself you to begin with you did what you wanted and then he, he starts to use I I did what we did what we wanted and there's something about what it's about is listening to your it's a terribly convoluted answer sorry it's, <laughs> it's, about, okay. li, it's, about, it's about listening to your instinct it's about trusting the truth of what you feel the truth of, you know, your whole body and psyche is built to look after you. You know, um, when you get a headache, it'll be because you haven't drunk enough water or you're stressed or whatever. Your body is really chatty and it's telling you stuff all the time. And, and so with your instincts, I think. Uh, I think when you feel that you're being, you're being bullied or you're being pushed or um, you feel unsafe or you feel insecure or you feel confident or you feel oh, this is my thing or whatever it is listen to your instinct that's what I would say because you know we live in a structured world that has its own agenda and that agenda may not be to your good but your body and your psyche are to your good and I think sometimes we we stop listening to ourselves and we don't trust ourselves and we we second guess that instinct because we want to fit in to structures that maybe aren't interested in us. And I think to try and hold that authentic place of truth about yourself is the most powerful, health-giving, um, nourishing gift we can give ourselves. Fantastic piece of advice. I remember you picking up on similar themes in your TEDx talk, uh, which I was watching. Yeah. And I definitely recommend everyone goes to check out. And kind of within that, you spoke about how we can support transgender people, make them feel, feel more welcome in, in the world and kind of for all, all types of people. I wonder specifically, is there in the vein of advice for this podcast, is there any advice you give to parents that are perhaps raising transgender children? Yeah, well, obviously, as you know, and anybody who watched the TED talk will know, I have personal experience of this. And for me, it's sort of in the same vein as what we've just talked about, really. I think you cannot underestimate how hard it is for a transgender child to articulate this troubling sense of not being in their right external body. I try to liken it for people of, uh, with, uh, you know, just that thing of, of, of I am a mixed race, African, British, UK, white woman, and I know what I look like. And it, I, I try to liken it to if I woke up one morning and I looked in the mirror and I was a blonde, blue eyed bloke. And that's what, you know, my physical reality, pinch it, poke it. That's what I was. 
but inside I absolutely knew that that wasn't the truth of who I was. I tried to make people understand that level of, of disjunction between one's internal sense of self and one's external view of self is something that, that trans people experience every day and the mad inducingness of that. I think any parent uh, who loves the bones of their child, children want them to thrive. And I think what can be super hard is for parents to understand that acknowledging, accepting the truth of that child's disjunction is a way to help them begin to survive and thrive. Um, the, the number of trans kids who self-harm, who kill themselves, who have ter terrible uh, life chances because of having to daily deny the reality and accept that they're a blonde, blue-eyed man when really they're, they're a brown, brown-eyed woman is, is terrible. Um, and to live through it is awful. And to watch someone you love living through it is, I can't tell you how excruciating that is. And to see, see the transformation that happens when you accept the authentic truth of who a person is. Now, that's not a quick thing. It takes time. And we've had what I consider terrible legislation going through this year that denies the opportunity and the truth of that for, for, for some young trans people. And I hope that that legislation will be revisited. But I think, you know, in a loving, supportive home, you can offer your child um, the best support and backing so that they can grow into be the person that they are. And then they can, you know, um, be the person that they are with all the gifts they have that are nothing to do with their, their, their gender identity that are to do with, are you good at football? Are you a great potter? Are you a watercolorist? Are you a brilliant physicist? Do you bake great cakes? Are you a homemaker? You know, there's a whole world out there that we should be engaged in that has nothing to do with what I call the outer fleshy covering. That's all about your soul and the things you've been gifted with. And, and what I'm interested in is allowing people to get to that place, to get to that, that, that place of living in your gift. Amazing. Um, I know that's the kind of, that theme that you spoke about in the in the TEDx um, talk is kind of how we can all be more accepting as individuals as well beyond beyond parenthood and stuff. What do you think people can take on in their daily lives to kind of get us more to that positive place to being more accepting and taking people as individuals? Well, it, it's that it's taking people as individuals. You know, um, there is nobody like you. You are unique, Lawrence, and I am unique. Thanks so much. And everybody, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody listening to this podcast is unique. You know, and all the signifiers that put us into certain boxes, whether it's our religion or our sexuality or our regionality or our class or our gender or who we love, whatever it is, that has nothing to do with, you know, the uniqueness of who we are. They're the sort of add-ons. But the unique stem of who we are, nobody's, nobody's made like us. You know, you and I will hear a piece of music and our response to it will be entirely our own. Obviously, it's coloured by what you're familiar with. So, you know, I might hear a bit of Sufi singing and not understand it as much as I would The Clash from 1977. Um, but, you know, I think your heart can still 
resonate with the joy at it and my heart will resonate differently to yours I'm a hippie as you can hear um uh, <laughs> but I but I honestly think you know we're just part of nature and we 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 respond at some level in a very natural instinctive way and I and I think as I said to begin with every human being wants to be seen and heard and valued for who they are and the minute you put us in an amorphous blob you take away who we are as individuals and I think uh, not only does that do each individual a great disservice but it does us as, as, as communities great disservice as well because you take away the potential for all that's brilliant about a person and you take away the potential for all the self-confidence and joy and security and curiosity that's out there and available for us to all resonate with because and those are the qualities that make life better those are qualities that mean somebody can not feel um, excluded or um, denigrated or, and, and all those things that make that, that, that put anxiety anguish and, and and anger into the world none of which is helpful so um so yeah, I you know I think I think our lives are really quick most of the time. The pandemic I think has been a really interesting moment to think about what happens if life is slow, when you actually talk to your neighbour, when you look someone in the eye, when you pay attention. I think paying attention is uh, something that maybe we've got back a little bit during the pandemic. Absolutely. I know one of the other projects you're working on at the minute is Fair Trade Fortnight which is helping us uh, tackle the climate crisis and what that kind of means to the future of our food. I wondered what tangible stuff would you advise for us to kind of do to make an impact and, and contribute towards that? Okay, so I suppose the first thing I would say is it's this is all the same conversation for me because um, if, you, if you think about the people who are producing your food, there's a human being at the other end of the chain, you know, whether whether it's the, the farmer in this country who uh, who has grown all those cauliflowers and because they're not cream, uh, because they're cream and not white, the supermarkets won't take them and they're now going to throw away all those cauliflowers. No, don't throw them away. There's a food charity that will dare take them. You know, so whether it's that makes the farmer feel good about their crops that are not going to be thrown away that's going to feed people who are struggling with food and I think we just we have to start making the logical connections with all our food supplies and so with fair trade it was started by a woman who I actually know who um, uh, our kids are at school together who was in the Wynwood Isles and where they had banana plantations and was seeing children who were born with deformities because of the pesticides that were being used on the bananas to make the bananas beautiful so make the bananas beautiful and make the children deformed oh and also ruin the ground on which they're grown she was provoked to say hang on this is not what food production like this no so uh, so what fair trade does it's a complete holistic thing it says we have to take care of the people who are producing the food we have to um make sure that they get paid a decent amount of money. We have to make sure that the, that the, the food that they produce is environmentally friendly. So goodbye, terrible pesticides that are damaging children and the land. Hello, um, good quality nutrition for the soil, um, uh, good quality manures, good quality seeds, good uh, standards of growing practice and good quality food, and then good quality life for the farmers because they get this thing called the fair trade premium, which means 
that the, the little extra we may be paying for the food at this end, it doesn't go to shareholders, it goes back to the farmers. The farmers can get their kids into school because they don't have to um, have everybody working on the land because they're getting paid a better wage themselves. They can build health centers. There are women's empowerment schemes so women can start to take more control of their money. There are, there are saving schemes. There are, level, there are standards of uh, quality of all production that if the farmer doesn't meet that standard of quality, they can't become a fair, they can't be part of the fair trade family. So it's like, it's keeping everybody honest and virtuous. And, you know, I, I think about things like at the moment, there's a class action going from trafficked children in West Africa against some big um, uh, 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 sweetie chocolate producers, not Mars and Nestle among them, uh, because these children were trafficked and enslaved. And I just think when you're buying your Easter eggs or when you're buying your favorite chocolate, do you want to be eating stuff that has been produced by the misery of small children. No, of course not. No. Well, you know, and similarly with your coffee, um, it, at the moment, it, it, on the non on on lots of coffee plantations, um, the way the coffee is being grown means that within thirty years, fifty percent of the land will be unusable. It's like we have to start thinking about what's the whole. At fallout for these processes and also lots of the small small farmers within the fair trade community are small farmers they're not big multinationals but you know if if their farming keeps going you know their children won't be trying to leave the country and go somewhere else to get a better life because they'll have a good life where they are um they are they, the small farmers are the ones who are coping with the worst fallout from climate change which is why this year fair trade has decided to make it a climate change focused campaign you know it's it's the little people who cope the least well when these things these things happen so fair trade is trying to support them with soil to stop soil erosion to stop um not being able to cope when the big floods come so people are sharing information people are sharing uh, methods of protecting the land more effectively and some of the fair trade premium is going to support that work so i just think it i just think you know and the food is great the yeah. coffee's fantastic the chocolate's brilliant the bananas the fruits you know there's even fair trade gold now really um oh. yes so that you can you can buy gold and know that it's been mined with people who've been kept safe in them i just i just think it's a bit of a no-brainer yeah it makes so much sense absolutely makes so much sense one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, kind of like the theatre industry and, and entertainment generally. Obviously, it's been hit so hard by the coronavirus pandemic. Do you have any advice for budding actors that are trying to break into the industry, but especially now where it might be harder than ever with, with less opportunities, potentially? Well, interestingly, I, I'm on the audition panel at RADA. We have had an increase in applicants this year. Oh, wow. So um, it doesn't... The difficulties that the theatre industry in is in at the moment does not seem to be stopping young budding actors from wanting to get into the industry, which I, I thought which was really interesting to me because I, I didn't know if it, there'd be a drop off, but there isn't. So um, there's something about that, which is, uh, you know, it might be that people are feeling like, well, I, there's lots of other avenues that aren't available to me now. So let me give this a try. But I think there's something hopeful and optimistic about that that um, is really encouraging it's been I can't tell you the number of friends I've had who've had the most awful year this year 
particularly if they are, you know, you know whether they're musicians or, or actors or dancers or whatever, um, who are in the, we need an audience performing industries. I've, it, it's been brutal, really brutal, but I, it will come back because we are built for community. You know, there's that thing where if you get a bunch of people in a theater, our heartbeats start to go, go at the same rate. Yeah. We're built, you know, just like you get a load of women on tour, everyone's periods start happening at the same time. We are built to be together. We're like, you know, I, I keep coming back to nature because for me, it's like, this is what we've got, you know. We're built for it. We're built to be in communion with each other. Our hearts sort of, they, they, go, they go, oh, hello. Ah, oh, right, okay, mm-hmm. here we all are. So I think it, it, will, it will all come back that will all come back because people want to be together whether you're singing on the terraces or listening to somebody singing in the opera or you know in the mosh pit down the front at a gig or 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 whatever it is people want to be together Um, and I think we've just got to hold our nerve I mean uh, obviously the vaccine is uh, a super good development and uh, uh, it will speed along the reopening of theatres I've I've no I've no doubt about that but I think we have to reflect now on how we are together. And we have to reflect on the fact that people who have been on uh, uh, low wages in overcrowded um, situations um, have struggled the most. And we have to think going forward about how we um, re- reward and remunerate people for their work Absolutely. Um, uh, across the board. And, you know, theatres are no different security guards kitchen staff cleaners people painting stuff the number of people who are on short to no term contracts um, within our industries who have really really struggled because of the contractual basis on which they're employed do we got to look at all of this stuff yeah. you know and that's got to be something that comes out of this period that's a real period of reflection on how we how we fund everything and and this 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 rush to everything being cheap and quick and you know you don't need to put it bring on anything permanently so it it's come back to really bite us and it's not a good look for a you know one of the top um gdp countries in the world that we have such chasms of of wealth and poverty disparity in this country so we have to reflect on all that and in our industry just as much as 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 everywhere else but it it will come back and so I would say to young artists again it goes back to what I was saying about what is your soul's calling if you're built to be an actor then engage with engage with that listen to that you know that doesn't mean that you're not very good at waitressing when that comes back which has been the other thing that's been so awful everything that we do to supplement our work is yeah, generally yeah. public public face and so that's been really difficult as well but i think i i i i think we need to um you know it may be that we need to box clever as as performers about what are the supplementary things that we do that aren't just those those public facing things and get those other i don't know what it might be the IT skills. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Do you remember that advert with the ballerina? Oh yeah, dancer? don't don't be a ballerina, but to, yeah, be yeah. <laughs> yeah. work in IT. Um, also, yeah. it was ridiculous yeah. that advert that the amount of creative people that probably worked on um, to make making it like doing the fonts and doing like the, the social media promotion. Like, there was lots of creative people to go into that. It just felt yeah, a little I bit tone deaf. <laughs> farcical, farcical. But um, yeah, again, it's that reductive thing, isn't it? It's like no. What's your thing? What are you good at? If we had a country that was full of uh, people being brilliant, I, you know, I think about 
this is slightly off piece, I suppose, but I think about the number of people who are really good criminals, uh, who, if they'd had different life chances, may have been really good, you know, fund managers or um, coaches or organisers or something else. Because yeah, yeah. they've got the silky skills, but they have not been given the opportunity to put the silky skills into practice. You know, it's that it's it's that sort of we we are wasting a lot of potential, and and that's a that's a that's a shame, and that's and that's to our our detriment as a nation. And that you know, if that's happening here, it's happening a a bajillion times over elsewhere. You know, and, and I go back to fair trade. You know, maybe that person's a farmer, but maybe because of the fair trade system they're in their child will get the opportunity to get the education to find out what their thing is and maybe their thing is nuclear fusion or, do you know what i mean it's yeah, like, yeah there's a whole world of potential that's remaining untapped because we don't give people the life chance opportunities um to let them fly with the things that they they should be doing and you could take that back to transgender conversation how can somebody who is being um daily uh, embattled by this disjunction in who they are and who they know themselves to be how are they supposed to to become that nuclear physicist if their daily life is this and you know I think about Alan Turing and what he did and his brilliance you know the code breaker who was then prosecuted for homosexuality and killed himself what what that man should have been being his brilliant self doing the life he lived but the social mores of the day meant that we we, we lost him and that you know that's not you know that's not history that's that's still current so and then that takes me back to Bridgerton so <laughs> if we can do it you know if we can do a show that says yeah, oh, this yeah. is all of history and you know gay people have been here since human beings have been here you know people of all different uh, races have been contributing to this society from time a woman has just as big a brain as a man and uh, you know maybe a marvelous engineer and he may be a good baker let him be a baker <laughs> let him do childcare you know or you know just let us be just let us be free because then the whole the whole of the world gets all that potential if we're free to not have to navigate the the barriers that human beings have put up that aren't nature's barriers that are social constructs i'll get off my soapbox no no definitely this this is the place to be on your soapbox this this is an ideal soapbox place um one thing i wanted to ask you about was religion and specifically with you i know you've trained a, a lay preacher a lay preacher for the church of england and what they yeah i'm a i'm a lay i'm a lay reader uh, oh a lay reader uh, so what that means is uh, but i do preach uh, so what that means is, as you can tell here i am <laughs> uh, so what that means is that uh, i trained for three years at southwark cathedral um and now i can I can lead, uh, it's bog standard Church of England, I can lead services, um, I can um, I can help with communion, um, I can uh, um, visit poorly people, I can preach, I can lead stuff, uh, I can do funerals, um, um, yeah there's lots of different things but I'm not I'm not a you know I'm not a dog collar minister but I'm a I'm a sidekick. <laughs> So what I wanted yeah. to ask was how how important do you think religion is, especially in I guess our, our modern world, and is it something I guess you'd recommend people maybe to try and explore in these in these tougher times or to to try and embrace a bit more? And do you think it's it's more it's it, what where where do you think it's important sits, especially with as we become like obsessed with technology and maybe move away from religion as those times have gone on? I just kind of wanted to pose that to you. Yeah, I you know here's the thing I know that if I was born. Uh, 
in uh, present day India, I'd probably be a Hindu. And if I was born in Pakistan, I'd probably be Muslim. And if I was born in Burma, I'd probably be Buddhist. I think, you know, this is the country that I was born in and this is the spiritual life that was most present in my family and my locality. So this is where I am. So that's the first thing I would say. And I, I think that everybody has a yearning for some sense of the divine. And I think it gets articulated in different ways. Uh, for some people, they would say, I'm completely not interested in religion, but when I watch a sunrise, it makes me cry. And for me, that's the spark of the, the divine. It's, that, um, it's that, that connection at the most profound level between us and life. And I think everybody longs for that connection in some way. And I think there has been too much state and power sanctioned attachment placed upon uh, different religions and spiritual beliefs that has, 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 has been the antithesis of what they are. So for me, every religion, it seems to me, speaks about taking care of creation. Every religion speaks about loving their neighbor. Every religion speaks about love, about reflection, about um, a, a time of stillness and an, an inward lookingness and a, a generosity and, and an openness. I'm not, a, I'm not a religious expert on all religions. And I know there will be different ways that people will parse that. But I, I think there's, there, is, there is that fundamental to all religions. And so I, 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 for me, my faith, I find profoundly um, helpful. I am on the sweary end of the Church of England. <laughs> I was a punk. I'm, I, I was a punk in 1977, and that is my heart. But I, I so, but I think, for me, uh, your faith should be something that is uh, about love and promotes love and uh, a good feeling towards your fellow in the world and a good feeling towards towards the planet that sustains us all. And for me, when faith doesn't do that, I'm, I'm less interested. Thank you. I wondered, looking back, what would you say is your is your proudest achievement? And I wanted to, wanted to ask as well as part of that, what kind of achievements are you still working towards or striving for? I really don't know what to staying alive, having a sense of humour. My kids are great. But, you know, they're their own achievement, I yeah. kind of feel. I've stopped them going, falling under a bus. <laughs> um, Good work. <laughs> uh, I thank you. Um, <laughs> I work wise, I really loved doing uh, the All Women of Colour Richard II we did at the Globe. I loved that because I wanted to celebrate those brilliant women. I wanted to show, I wanted to make an opportunity for people to be fantastic at what they do, to show that um, Shakespeare is for everybody and again it's extending the, it, with, my whole work of life is about extending the invitation and that's because in the end you get motivated by your own story and for me my story is about wanting to be in the room uh, so I want to do that for everybody else and I I think when I first started as an actor I got I got into the industry because I as I was an African I was a good African daughter that did the law degree mm. <laughs> 
Did I want to do the law degree? Mm -mm. <laughs> um, was I very good at the law degree? And um, I'd been doing plays since I was about four, but I grew up in the middle of the Cotswolds in the 1960s. So, you know, compared to metropolitan London, that was like the 1940s. People didn't become actors, what are you talking about? So um, uh, it wasn't really something I considered a possibility. And I was in a black women's group in Bristol because I was, politics have always been, love my politics. And uh, I went to Green and Common and one of the women in the black women's group we all went to Green and Common. They introduced me to literature I hadn't read before. I discovered, Paul, um, I discovered Paulette, Paulette Marshall and um, uh, Paulie Marshall rather, and um, Alice Walker and Tony Cade Bambara and Tony Morrison and all these amazing Audrey Lord, these amazing uh, writers. And one of the women in my Black women's group, when I decided I was going to pack in a law degree said come and join my drama group and she was a black actress from San Francisco and then she got funded to do a show and I came up to London never went back and then other black women started telling me about auditions so so putting me in competition with them so the gen the, that act of generosity I think I've I've wanted to I've wanted to continue that thing of sort of going come on it just opening the door come on everybody in everybody in everybody in and so I, I think when we did Richard II a couple of years ago at the Globe, we had the fight director, the voice coach, the uh, designer, the costume maker, the, uh, the composer, all the musicians, directors, assistant directors, stage management, all the actors, everybody was a woman of colour, including my auntie who made one of the costumes. And I just wanted to say, Let's all be in the room and not feel like we're the only one for once. So I'm not interested in you. You don't have to worry about anything else. Let's have the freedom to go, yeah, we're all women of colour. So what? Can you do this line, please? No, that's rubbish. Do it again. You know, so we could be free to just be artists. So again, it's about being the freedom to just be what your soul is and not what all the outside stuff is. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, and we, did a, we did a good show and we got great reviews and we sold out and we did extra performances and different sorts of people were sitting in the audience and we extended the invitation and um, all our pictures of all our mothers and our grandmothers, but that's what we had for our set. For instead of having kings and queens on the walls, we had photographs of, you know, there's my aunt that fled from, uh, the, my grandmother that fled from China or, you know, there's my, there's my Iranian auntie or, you know, there's my Ghanaian grandmother. Or those were our. So we honoured the women. We honoured everything with our costumes and the set and everything. And I think so. I just uh, and and it it was Richard II. It's a play about empire, uh, about the the nation, what it means to be English. And it was on during Brexit. So for me, it was about having the conversation that went, yeah, we're all we're all here because someone from here went to where they were, and now we're here. So we're all part of the story. So let's all tell the story and let's all share and enjoy it and have a laugh and be comedy and be sad and do all the good things that actors do. It sounds like so a I'm fantastic put, I, project. Absolutely fantastic. It was good. It was, yeah, it's online. It's on, I put it up, a, I did a film of it. It's on YouTube. So anyone can watch it. 
finally there's one question which we ask everyone or i ask everyone on the podcast um and i imagine from what we've talked about I, I can see the theme of where it might go but we always ask everyone what's the meaning of life from your perspective from the life that you've lived from you know the beliefs that you have and stuff what was your top line take on what do you think the meaning of life is and i thought the proudest achievement one stumped you <laughs> yeah meaning of life big, big one you know at one level i don't think there is any meaning to life I think, uh, you know, a, an accident of chemicals meant that we grew from amoebas to, to jellyfish to however the latest science says that we grew. And we're just here. So I think um, that means it's a miracle that we even exist. So I think if you can find a moment every day to reconnect with the miracle of your existence and let that fuel all the choices that you make, uh, then you're probably gonna head towards the the best that you can make of what you have we're we are miracles we're daily miracles i feel so pepped up after speaking to you today i feel like i'm, I'm unique we're a day i'm a daily miracle brilliant i feel, I feel fantastic i'm pumped now <laughs> <laughs> thank you thanks so much lawrence and really good luck with the podcast it's a it's a, it's a great conversation cheers thank you All so right. much take care love bye-bye i love bye Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been a long, long time coming. And finally, I'm so glad to have it out in the world. At one stage, I thought it might never happen, but I'm really, really glad to get there. I'm certainly missing the slick production team from behind the scenes and obsessed with Peaky Blinders. Um, but yeah, bear with me while I find my way through the podcasting world in terms of editing myself. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful or entertaining, I would massively appreciate if you could leave me a positive review on your podcast provider of choice because I know it really does help in terms of the rankings and helping other people discover it. Or maybe you might want to share it with your friends or family or someone you think might benefit from it or enjoy it. If you want to stay in touch with me about future episodes of the podcast or people you'd love to hear interviewed, then you can find me on Instagram at Lawrence Mozafari or on Twitter with at Lawrence underscore Moza. Or you can find my Facebook page if you search for Lawrence Mozafari Journalist. My incredible intro music and backing track, which you can hear right now, is made by a very good friend of mine, Joshua Ferreira. He's a multi-instrumentalist and music producer, and he's in a very good folk cover band too, and they're called The Chaps. Um, they use live instruments to play the biggest dance UK garage and club classics you've ever heard. And once you've heard uh, an Ibiza anthem mixed in as a, in a folk remix, trust me, you can never go back. They're such a good laugh to watch live. You can hear more of Josh's music by searching for Joshua Ferreira Music on SoundCloud or check out thechapsband.com. And if you'd like to support the production of this podcast, please head to co-fi.com slash Lawrence Mozafari. That's ko-fi.com slash Lawrence Mozafari. Thanks again. Thank you so, so much for listening. Stay safe and be lucky. Can I just ask you, so why yeah, did sure. you want to do this? So I've got a really, really close relationship with my grandmother and I've always really loved hearing stories about her life growing up in world wars and things like that. And I'm really, really interested in like living history and people that have actually lived through events and stuff. And I really, really want to like champion wisdom of people that have lived life, essentially. So I thought if I could speak to people that have really, really interesting lives, they've got really interesting stuff to say and hopefully get life lessons, anecdotes and really positive things. Um, and part of it is people of various ages, but part of it, I guess, in time, hopefully. I think I'm really keen to 
break the stigma around around people um you know getting older um because i think we're so obsessed with with youth and stuff in in society mm. and i'm kind of hoping to, to to break that on and i think i really worry when i talk about that it's going to sound like i'm only speaking to people of a, of a certain age but it's really not that yeah i'm like of... not at all I, I really yeah please don't get um get the wrong <laughs> end of the stick with that but that that's right. kind of why i wanted to do it and hopefully put something positive out there 